Well, hey, good morning, friendship. I hope you guys had an incredible Fourth of July week. Um, man, July is a busy week for a busy month for our family. Um, actually, I've got I got to start by saying happy birthday to my youngest son, Ridge. His twelfth birthday today, so happy birthday to my baby boy. Right. <laughs> um, also, I just got to say this: in three days, I want to say happy anniversary to my wife of twenty years, Miss Annette. <laughs> 20 years, that's a big, that's a big deal. I'm excited. Um, happy birthday, Tara, as well. Today is her birthday also. Uh, man, I hope you guys have had an incredible week. Thank you for being here. Uh, I know July is a time of vacations and everything, and it's, it's, man, it's a break from our normal routine. Uh, we are jumping into a brand new series starting today through the month of July called God on Film. And really what we're doing for the next four weeks is we're, we're looking at some of the blockbuster movies, um, the stories that our culture uh, is telling, and we're, we're going to see how uh, we can learn about who God is and what he is like through these stories of our culture. Uh, one of the things I love about God is that God is a storyteller. He's a storyteller. In fact, uh, I, I'm always reminded of this quote by G.K. Chesterton that goes like this. He says, I've always felt life first as a story. And if there is a story, there is a storyteller. I love this because it's a reminder that, that God is a storyteller and that our lives, our stories, and our, our life is made up of chapters and, 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 and this is who God is. In fact, when you look at Jesus Christ, he was a man who used parables extensively, constantly. A parable is really nothing more than a story that teaches a truth. And the Bible, when you think about the Bible, the Word of God, um, the Bible is not primarily a history book, though it does contain history. The Bible is not primarily a life instruction manual, though it does give us instruction for life. In fact, can I just tell you, Pet Peeve, I hate when we call the Bible our, our instruction manual for life. The reason I don't like that is because when we say that this is my instruction manual, though, though again, it does give us instruction for life. When we call this my, our instruction manual, what we're doing is we're making the Bible about me. And the Bible's not about me, and the Bible's not about you. It's about God. It's the story of who God is and what he has done. In fact, the Bible is, is about who God is, what he's created us, and what he's created everything for, but then how we kind of messed this whole thing up and came into this state of being called sin, this fallenness of man, and we kind of wandered away from God's way for us. And then the, the scriptures begin to tell us throughout the Old and New Testament how God made a way to rescue us and to redeem us from our brokenness and from our fallenness. And then it begins to tell us what happily ever after looks like when we place our faith in Jesus and begin to follow God out into all of eternity. And so the Bible is primarily a story. It's a story the story of God. And the cool thing is that we all get to play a part in God's story. You know, movies in our culture, they are a modern day, they are the modern day parable. These are the modern day stories. And, and I'm not just talking about overtly Christian ones, okay? Uh, I love movies. I'm a big, movie. love movies. I don't particularly love Christian movies. Some are okay, um, not all of them, but sometimes we go, okay, a Christian movie, it point, points directly to Jesus. And so, uh, so yes, it's, it's, a, it's a modern day parable. Here's what I'm saying. I believe 
almost every movie, every story in our culture, though it may not point directly to Jesus, man, we see echoes of the greatest story, the story of God, through every, every modern-day parable, every movie. And so in this series, God on Film, what we're doing is we're focusing on this question. We're trying to answer this question. What is God like? So the movies that we watch, the stories that we tell or that we hear, what do those, those stories tell us about who God is and what he's like? And so what I love about, I, does anybody else love superhero movies? Is anybody else in the room? Okay, I love them. I have raised a whole tribe of superhero lovers. In fact, today we're probably going to take Ridge on his birthday to see Spider-Man far from home. Um, and we just are, we are a tribe of superhero lovers because I grew up loving superheroes. Now, all I had in the movies was like Christopher Reeves and Superman growing up, which were incredible back in the day. Pretty awful when you watch, watch them now, right? Um, but I love, man, I, am, I geek out with superhero movies. I love superhero movies. And the thing I love about most of them is that it's about a hero who saves the day, right? Most superhero movies are about that. Um, and the good guys win, and that's incredible. The thing I don't love about the turn that our superhero movies are starting to take is we have superhero movies that are about corrupt superheroes or about villains. Okay, there's a movie coming out called Joker, and I'm like, who wants to see a movie about the villain? <laughs> and, like, there's something in us when a story doesn't resolve and there's not a happy ending that we're like, there's something wrong with this. This is messed up. If you want to go see Joker, hey, that's fine. There's something, you've got to screw loose, all right? <laughs> that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. But what I love about the Avengers movies in particular, uh, what I love about this series of films, which, by the way, when you look at the box office top 10 movies of all time, um, there are four Avengers movies. All four are in the top, time, top 10 all-time uh, highest grossing films. Um, that's how popular these things are. So you may be in here this morning and go, I, don't, I could care less about movies. I don't like superhero movies. I could care less about Marvel movies. Hey, well, you're in the minority, all right? Because top 10 all-time four Avengers movies are in that class. And so... There's, there's something in these stories that is speaking to our culture. And what I love about the Avengers movies is that every hero has their own story. Okay, It's made up of all of these individual characters, and yet each character plays a part in a much bigger universe. All right, What we would know as the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. In other words, most of these heroes have their own individual stories and movies, but when you have the Avengers, you have all of these individual players and characters who come together for a bigger purpose. And really what I love about this is this really is the story of the church, right? It's a lot of individual stories and people and characters and timelines. And the church brings all of these different people with different backgrounds and different storylines together with a common purpose and a common enemy and it's a beautiful thing. And so I love the Avengers. That'll preach, amen? That's just good stuff. Um, I love it. So here, this movie, Avengers Endgame, is now number two, uh, creeping up on number one all time behind Avatar of highest grossing films. I believe it's still number two. Uh, and, and this is kind of the second part of a movie series. Last year, um, there was a movie called Avengers Infinity War, okay? That was kind of the precursor to Avengers Endgame, which we're looking at this morning. And the thing that made that movie last year so hard to handle was 
it appeared in the end that evil triumphed. Okay, if, if you know anything about the movie, um, man, and the, the ending was like shocking. And you're like, what just happened? The bad guys won. All is lost. Now, obviously, there's another movie coming out, so you're like, ah, this is just a cliffhanger. They're trying to get us to come back and spend billions next year. I get how this thing works. Um, but you know what? We all want a happy ending. We all want to win in the end. But the reality of, of that movie, Avengers Infinity War, and the reality of all of life is that loss is a part of the deal, right? We always don't feel like we're winners in life. We all don't feel like our life is headed towards a happy ending. And that's part of life, and that's part of this particular movie. We hate it, but we can't avoid it. Moving on, as Steve Rogers or Captain America in this movie talks about, I mean, it's, it's a difficult reality when it comes to life. We'd love to do what kind of happens in this movie, which is kind of rewind and try to undo some things and redo the ending. Um, but that doesn't always happen. And so what, what, what do we see in Avengers, Endgame, and ultimately in the scriptures that helps us make sense of, of all of this? That's what we're going to look at today, all right? So let me pray, and then we're going to watch a quick trailer, and then we're going to jump into this. Father God, we thank you this morning that we can come into this place. We can gather with your people that you've assembled together. God, maybe some people for the very first time stepping into a church or the first time in a long time. God, people that are still questioning who you are. God, all of us may be dealing with difficulty or loss, um, or it's, it's around the corner, or or whatever the case may be, God, we have, there's a lot of storylines that are represented in this room. And yet this morning, God, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to the reality of who you are and this amazing story that you are telling and how you want us to be a part of that. And so, God, would you, would you this morning reveal yourself to us? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you help us to see more clearly who you are and how we can live our lives for you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Check out this video. Imagine if, for the first time, our heroes all lost. This is no place to die. Thanos had his way, and half of the population of the universe has gone. Everyone's doing their best to keep their head above water, but uh, it's, it's kind of a losing battle. We lost, and, and we're not used to losing. People are kind of still coming to grips with it. Natasha is a little bit hardened from what she's had to go through. They've truly leveled us, not just literally, but morally and, and, and emotionally. There was no other way. The fans' reaction to the end of Infinity War, when half their favorite characters turned to dust, really was indicative of how emotionally connected the world has gotten to these characters. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. The good thing is it's always easier to build people back up after they've been broken down. And that, that's what Marvel's great at doing. It's that shred of hope everyone's looking for. We're in the endgame now. I know I said no more surprises, but... I was really hoping to pull off one last one.
I like this one. <laughs> okay, so just give me a show of hands. How many of you have actually seen Avengers Endgame? Okay, a good number of you, all right? For the rest of you, um, spoiler alert, okay? Now, here, here's the deal. It's been out for over two months, so if you haven't seen it, um, you've either heard some spoilers or you really could care less, all right? So we're in safe territory here, all right? Um, so Avengers Endgame, in the aftermath of tragedy and loss, you see each of these characters trying to cope, and they each cope differently with loss and with the circumstances. And they're all trying to move on for a time, but they can't find rest. Now, if you've seen the movie, um, this word rest is mentioned twice by a character named Pepper Potts, and it's a pretty significant word in the scheme of the whole movie. They can't find rest. But things come together in such a way that uh, they kind of discover this, this way to undo what's been done, to kind of pull off what they would call a time heist, all right? They're going to reassemble and try to go back and fix things, all right? So let me give you kind of the big picture story of this movie. This is the cliff notes, all right? Um, taking three hours and putting it into like three lines, all right? This is tough stuff. Uh, so here's what happens. They experience, they, uh, in terms of the superheroes, they experience great battles, they enjoy great victories. Now, individually, they enjoy great victories, and collectively, they enjoy great victories, but they also endure great loss and defeat. However, it's not ultimate defeat. It's not ultimate loss. That's why there's part two of these movies, right? It's not ultimate defeat. It's not ultimate loss. This is kind of the big picture story. Okay, when you see defeat, when you see loss, it's not ultimate. It's not the end of the story. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to switch gears. We're going to come back to the story. Uh, but I want to I take just a few minutes to look at a story in the scriptures that, that came to mind uh, as I was thinking through this, what the story of Avengers is telling us. And I think of the story of Joseph, Joseph in the Old Testament. His life story is chronicled in Genesis chapters 37 through 50. It's an incredible story, one of the most well-known in all of Scripture. And I want to I give you just kind of, again, the, the brief version of this, because Joseph's life was a life of highs and lows, okay? He experienced some great highs and some great lows. Uh, Joseph was the son of Jacob. He was the 11th of 12 sons of Jacob, okay? You have the, the patriarchs of Israel. You have Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons, Joseph being number 11, all right? And he was, he was daddy's favorite. And, um, you know, when you have a favorite child, that doesn't always go well with the other kids, right? The siblings don't take to that very well. So the high is that Joseph, man, he finds favor with his father, Jacob. The low is that, man, his brothers cannot stand him, right? They bully him to the point that they sell him into slavery. They sell him off to the Egyptians, and this is, this is kind of the, the peaks and valleys of, of his story. He, he gets sold into the household of Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he quickly earns favor with, with, um, with Potiphar, to where Potiphar allows him to kind of run his household, which is, okay, he's, he's in slavery, low, but then he's the, the head of this household, essentially. So he finds favor with Potiphar, so his, his life takes this upswing. But then Potiphar's wife starts trying to make these advances, these sexual advances on him. And so he deals with and endures 
this temptation, but if, if you know the story of Joseph, man, he, he turns tail and runs. Literally, he just, the coat off his shoulders, and he takes off. Kind of connects with what, we, with what I talked about last week, about being blameless, above reproach. He said, I don't want to be even near this, so I'm running far away. Well, then he gets falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of inappropriate action. He gets thrown into prison, and so here's the low. He, he finds himself in prison with these two other prisoners, the king's cupbearer and the king's baker, who the king, Pharaoh, you know, whatever, was having a bad day and threw his baker and his butler into captivity. And so here is Joseph in prison with these two, and these two have these wild dreams that Joseph says, oh, you know what? I'm in the uh, dream interpretation business. I can interpret your dreams. And so he begins to tell them what's going to happen. He says, cupbearer, your dream, you're going to be returned, you're going to be restored back to your position, back to your old life. And then he says to the other, the, the baker, he says, uh, you know what? Um, you're going to die. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, but he says, hey, cupbearer, <laughs> since you're going to get out free, would you do me a favor? When you get back into power, would you remember me? Would you remember me? Would you say a good word to Pharaoh and maybe help me get out of this place? And what you find in the story of Joseph is that those dreams come true. And the, the baker and the cupbearer get released. The cupbearer, though, leaves, leaves Joseph hanging. And then, you know, the baker, he's literally left hanging. <laughs> he's hung and he hanged, excuse me, uh, and he dies. But Joseph, for two years, is like, man, when is... When is the cupbearer going to remember me? And he just kind of goes on with life. But then there comes a day when Pharaoh has a dream. And the cupbearer goes, hey, I know a guy who's in the dream interpretation business. Let me go fetch you this guy. So here comes Joseph to the rescue. He interprets the dream and he, he saves Egypt out of famine. And, and this is an incredible story. He rises to power within, within Pharaoh's courts. He becomes second in command the governor over all of Egypt. And so here's the story of Joseph, who incredible highs, incredible loss, though he loses, but then he's restored, and he's going through this life of highs and lows, right? Not unlike our own lives, right? Ups and downs, highs and lows. This is the story of Joseph. But then this, this famine comes throughout the land, and Joseph's brothers come from Canaan, and they're looking for food, for their family. And here is Joseph, who they don't recognize anymore. And he is the one in charge of all of the stores of grain and all the food. And here is the opportunity for Joseph to go, here's where I get my revenge. Here's where I take it out on those brothers who sold me into slavery all those years ago. But what does Joseph do? Rather than taking that opportunity to make things right, he has mercy. And he provides for his family, including his father. And he brings his family to Egypt. And rather than punishing them, he is merciful. And he moves his whole family there. And you come to the end of the story in this, this well-known passage in Genesis chapter 50. I want us to look here. This all leads up to this last chapter of the book of Genesis. This incredible story of Joseph. And, and we see something here in Joseph's life. And I want you to look at Genesis chapter 50. Starting in verse number 15, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, uh, they said, it may be, this is after Joseph, he's identified himself to his brothers as, as their brother. He's brought their family there. He's taken care of them, 
provided for them. Jacob, their father, has died. And it says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. In other words, the only, reasons he, the only reason he's left us alive is because daddy's been alive. Now that daddy's out of the picture, he's going to come down on us. So what are we going to do? So verse 16, so they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Now, were these brothers being honest? Was this actually the last wish of, jo- of Jacob? Hey, forgive your brothers. I, I don't know. They may have just, just been scheming again, right, to get out of um, what Joseph was going to do to them. But look what it says. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, this is amazing, y'all. Look at his response. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And this is an amazing thing. There are two things that I want to point out, two perspectives that propelled Joseph, not just sustained him, not just got him through all these years of of peaks and valleys, two perspectives that literally propelled him. Number one is this. This was his perspective. God is God, and I'm not. God is God, and I'm not. And number two is this. God is in control from beginning to end. God is in control from beginning to end. You remember what he says? He says, am I in the place of God that I would do this to you? Hey, God is God. I am not. And you know what? You may have meant this for evil, but God is writing a bigger story, y'all. And he says, and God meant it for good. In other words, man, God has been in control from beginning to end, you may have thought that this is what you are doing to me and this is what you are doing to my life. But you know what? I know better than that. Everything that has happened in my life, God has been fully in control. Even when it seemed like others were in control, even when it seemed like God was absent, God is in control from beginning to end. Amen? These were the perspectives that Joseph had through the highs and the lows. You know, even in the highs, sometimes we go, man, my life is going good. I am in control of everything. No, 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 no. Even in the highs, Joseph said, God is in control. In the lows, God is in control from beginning to end. You even see it in Genesis chapter 45. If you go back a few chapters, what you see... Joseph say, as, as, as his brothers come to him, as it's being unveiled who, who he really is, that he's their brother who's still alive in Genesis 45, verse 5 to 8, here, here's what Joseph says. Because they're, they're freaked out, they're afraid for their lives, and here's what Joseph says. 
Now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Like, listen to what he's saying. Hey, don't, don't be angry with yourselves for what you did. Why? For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be ne- neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but who? But God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. You know what Joseph was saying? He was saying, hey, don't be angry with yourself. Because God is the one. He says it twice. God sent me. You didn't send me here. God sent me here. You didn't put me in this place. God put me in this place. Why? For your good. To save your life. And so you may have done this to harm me, but God did this to save you. God is in control from beginning to end. And so let me, let me go back and switch gears and, and go back to the story of Avengers Endgame. And again, let me give you a spoiler alert, all right? Because what you see in this movie is apparently all is lost, right? Evil has won the day. But again, it's not ultimate defeat. It's not ultimate loss. Though it appears that evil comes out on top, spoiler alert, the good guys actually win in the end, right? The good guys win the day. But what I want to point out this morning is how it comes about. How it comes about. And I won't give the particulars, but what happens throughout this movie is there's two incredibly powerful scenes. I mean... I'm not ashamed to say that these are two scenes that, like, I'm giving up my man card here where there's, like, okay, I, there's, there's somebody peeling onions? What's going on? There's, like, these two powerful scenes in the movie where two different individuals, these are the most gripping emotional points in the movie, in my opinion, where two individuals give up their lives for the good of the whole. You have two individuals who say, We're not going to win unless I lay down my life. Because here's what you find. Victory ultimately comes through sacrifice. Victory ultimately comes through sacrifice. I mean, I don't know if if you've you've noticed this in movies. The, The movies that capture you the most, that are the most gripping, the best stories always involve sacrifice. The best movies. I mean, we're coming off of the 4th of July, which is all about our freedom. And that cliche, which is still so powerful, freedom isn't, what, free. Because to get freedom, it requires a lot of, what, sacrifice. That's how we experience freedom. That's how victory comes. The best stories always involve sacrifice. Why? Because Sacrifice is always born out of love. It always comes from a place of of love. The ultimate display of love is when somebody gives up their life to save you, to rescue you. When they put their life down for your good, 
man, these are the best stories. And this is why this movie resonates with people, because it, this story reflects the very best story, the greatest story of all time. You know where I'm going, right? It's a story of love and sacrifice. It's the story of, of Jesus, who, not unlike these superheroes that we've talked about, um, he experienced great battles. He fought with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He experienced great victories. There was a lot of healing and freedom, prisoners going free. He endured great loss. You look at the life of Jesus, and you know what? The disciples, the, the ones who followed him most closely, were so distraught at the crucifixion. Why? Because it appeared that evil had won the day, and that all was lost, and that this so-called Messiah was now in the grave, and the one that we thought was going to bring us victory and freedom from sin and from oppression Man, he, is, he wasn't the Messiah we thought he was. And the good guys have lost. However, it was an ultimate defeat. And it was an ultimate loss. Amen? Because he rose from the dead. And that sacrifice led to life and freedom and redemption. This was the story of Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 13. Jesus himself says this. Prior to his death, he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone does what? Lay down his life for his friends. There's no greater display of love than that someone would lay down his life for his friends. John chapter 10, verse 11, speaking of himself, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? Lays down his life for the sheep. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, it says, For while we were still weak, all of us, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Verse 8, But God shows his love for who? For us. And that while we were still sinners, say these next words with me, Christ died for us. There's no greater love than that someone would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus says, hey, I'm the good shepherd. You're my sheep. And I lay down my life for you. Even in the midst of your sin, even in the midst of my sin, when we had nothing good to offer God. He says, even then, I loved you so much that I laid down my life for you. You may be in the midst of a sinful life or a life far from God, and you would say, man, God is so far away. My life is nowhere near being right with God. And you know what Joseph said? You may have meant it for evil, but man, God is writing a bigger story. And he's got a plan for you, and he loves you. And your story, your storyline can fit into the story of God, because here is the big story of our lives. We will experience great battles, right? We will enjoy great victories. We will endure 
great loss and great defeat. We cannot escape it. It's part of life. However, however, the good news is, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, defeat is not ultimate. Loss is not the end of the story. Amen. It's not ultimate loss. It's not ultimate defeat. Romans chapter 8. You may know this passage, but we've got to go there. Romans 8, starting in verse number 26. The Apostle Paul says this, talking about when we're, when we're, we're broken, we don't know, even have words to communicate to God. It says in verse 26, likewise, the Spirit, okay, when we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to, to dwell in us and comes alongside us, and it says he helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, when you don't know what to pray, when you're going through it, the Holy Spirit is with you, and he prays with you and for you on your behalf. Verse 28, here's a statement of confidence in God, that God is God and I am not, and God is in control from beginning to end. Verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things, how many things? All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You know what he's saying here? That God has this plan for each of our lives. He's working everything together for his glory and for our good so that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. That we would look more and more and more like Jesus. It says, but we, we know. Man, this isn't just a bunch of random stuff like connected in our lives, that God is writing a bigger story, and we each have our own storylines. But listen, it's not disconnected from the grand narrative of God's redemptive story of all of history. We're a part of that. We can be a part of that. God has a part for us in his story. And so a couple questions that I want to ask you this morning as, as we get ready to, to finish up with with another time of worship. I want to ask you a question. Have you received the sacrificial love of God for you? What I'm saying is this. Jesus died for you to forgive you of your sins, to give you freedom, to give you life to the full. Have you put your faith in Christ? Have you said, yes, God, I believe that you are God, that you are in control. And man, I give you my life. I believe that you died to save me, and so I give you my life. Have you done that? Have you ever had a moment where you put your faith in Jesus Christ as the only hope for your life, the one who died for you, the one who forgave you? Have you done that? If not, man, this can be the day that you do that. All that requires is faith from your heart and for you to say to God, from your heart, God, I trust you. I trust you as Lord.
Maybe you've made that decision. Can I ask you this question? Follower of Jesus, are you dealing with loss? Are you dealing with difficulty? Are you dealing with frustration in your life? Can I remind you of Joseph's perspective? Because maybe you need to come back to this. Number one, God is God and you are not. And number two, God is in control from beginning to end. Can I get an amen? And so, Father God, this morning, we're grateful that you are a God who is writing a bigger story than we could ever imagine. And sometimes the, the, the sentence that we find ourselves in, the paragraph, the page that we're on in our own small story seems to loom so large over our lives that we lose sight Or maybe, God, we're unaware that there's a bigger picture, that there's more going on outside of our own little world. And yet, God, you are writing this amazing story. You've been writing it from the beginning. And you continue to write it today. And, Father, we recognize this morning that the good news is we all get to play a part in your story, that you are calling each and every single one of us up into your incredible story, that our lives can be about so much more than what we face on a day-to-day basis. God is about your glory. And in the pursuit of that, it's about our good. And so, Lord, for all the things that are going on in our lives that seem to be for evil, God, would you help us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt this morning that you are working all things together for good. God, that you are in control, even in the seemingly out of control, even in the midst of the chaos, even in our questions and our wandering and our doubts, you are God and you are in control. And so Lord, this morning, as we continue to worship you, God, we call out to you as a sovereign Lord over all creation and over our lives. And so, Lord, for everyone in this room, Lord, would you help us to surrender control to you? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.